This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their Have you gotten Rommel yet? What's up, y'all? Welcome on into the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a, I guess I would call it seasonably chilly-ish uh, Monday, October afternoon here in God's Own, Knoxville, Tennessee, coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. Just 1.9 miles, I believe, as the crow flies away from Neyland Stadium, where Tennessee, the 19th-ranked Vols, will host Texas A&M, 3.30 p.m. Eastern on Saturday on CBS, which, of course, is the greatest network that ever has been invented by man or God or anyone else that invents anything. A big, big week for Tennessee. A lot going on. We will discuss as much of it as we can. But first off, how are you? Hope you're well. Hope your weekend was good. Hope that you got to go out and do some things for Tennessee's uh, only open date of the seasons. We certainly got to, uh, Team Rucker got to go do some stuff. That was nice. Got some pumpkins, all that stuff. Uh, watch the little man go down the slide, play at a fair type thing. It was a pretty good weekend. And if you're a Texas A&M fan listening, I hope that uh, other than those maybe three and a half hours on Saturday against Alabama, I hope your weekend was a good one. Uh, other than that, hope everybody is well. Got a lot to discuss on this episode, and we're going to get right to it. We're going to go to that undisclosed location and get to Patrick Brown and go to that home daycare center and get to Ryan Callahan. Fellas, how are we today? Doing well, and uh, you, you mentioned people getting stuff done. I, I, uh, someone, someone mentioned uh, over the weekend that things seemed a bit more crowded in Knoxville, a lot more people out. And I, I, and I wonder if that is a thing. Like, do people actually say, like, I, I can't go out, it's a game day, and, and like they're, they're, they're too busy yep. tailgating all day? And like the, the, the Saturday of the open date, is that like the busiest Saturday of football season in Knoxville? It's, it's possible. Yeah, we were at the zoo on Saturday and then at like uh, up there at Oaks Farm and Coryton on Sunday and both places were packed like Woodstock. So yeah, I think it was I think it was the case of uh checking some honeydews off of the list. What about you, Pat? Uh, good weekend? Yeah, I, I didn't leave my house, so I didn't have to deal with all you crazy morons out there. Uh, I did I, the only time I left my house was to go get breakfast on Saturday morning and then Saturday evening I ran to Costco to get one of their pizzas cuz it's like $10 for a giant pizza. So there you go. That's that's the kind of weekend that I sort of wish I had had, uh, to be honest. Because we went out there with all those people, and then the little man today is uh, has uh, been one of those stuff coming out of both holes kind of thing. Uh, so got a little stomach thing going on. Hopefully he's doing all right because he's got surgery on Wednesday. Uh, but that shouldn't affect anything with work this week. We'll have uh, the regular Thursday podcast. I should be there. We should be good. Uh, we should have get things squared away with the people who cover Texas A&M, guys that we don't interact with a ton. Maybe Ryan does in recruiting. Uh, but for team stuff, we don't seem to, 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 to have to deal with those guys very often just because of the nature of not playing A&M all that often in football. So lots to... Uh, lots to catch up with those guys, uh, be, get acquainted with those guys, figure out how we're going to swap Q&As and podcasts and all that other stuff. So we'll get all that squared away. We got a lot to talk about, but we will start with Josh Heupel's press conference on Monday afternoon, right there around the lunch hour, 1215 Eastern as usual. Uh, the, the, the head coach came in looking a little, little refreshed, like he had a weekend without as much stress. Uh, you could tell that maybe a little bit of fewer bags under those eyes that you normally see in some of those Monday pressers, uh, and as you should expect to see after the open date of the season. Talked about watching some football on Saturday, Sunday, doing stuff with his kids. Uh, got to go to his kids' football game. Lots of lots of neat stuff uh, for Heupel there. But then it was back to business, and he said his team uh, was refreshed. 
He said his team looked pretty good on Monday, as you would expect after um, – you know, we talked about this quite a bit, guys, but the Tennessee, the, the open date – came at a really good time because this team had been a little bit beat up and there's three grueling games coming up next uh, in, in success in succession, right? You got A&M at home this week, uh, then you go to Alabama, then you go to Lexington. So that's a big, big, big weekend, uh, big month coming up for Tennessee as, as October tends to be. Um, but I think the Vols got a little bit healthy. I think we'll see on Saturday, of course. We know – what Heupel says with injuries is not always something we can take as gospel, um, but he, he said he thought the guys looked pretty good, and I think that's a that's probably the biggest message going into the week. Yeah, I think Tennessee needed a, a time to get some guys just off their feet a little bit, get some guys off the off the practice field, get some guys uh, healthier and, and more ready to play. Obviously, Joe uh, Joe Milton comes to mind with, with his knee situation. He obviously was not 100% against South Carolina, so chance for him to get some some time, uh, uh, like I said, off his feet, getting that knee a little bit better. Maybe he's a little bit more mobile. Uh, maybe they're willing to run him a little bit more moving forward um, after what happened at UTSA. So I think that, you know, it's important for him. Some guys that just got back, whether it be Cooper Mays, Elijah Simmons, um, you know, so some other guys that are beat up that have been playing through things. And, and a lot of guys are playing through things at this point of the season, so it's pretty common. But uh, they got a chance to kind of go refresh and and i'm sure a lot of them went went back home for a couple of days over the weekend um and so hopefully uh you know tennessee's won both games coming out of the open date the previous two years under hypo so I, I think he knows how to manage his team not only during the, the grind of the season try to keep them healthy and, and ready to kind of be re- as ready to play physically and, and mentally as they can on, on saturdays but uh, also, during the time when they have some downtime, I think he knows how to manage the team and, and keep them and make the most of it from from that standpoint as well. Yeah, that's always a big storyline uh, coming out of these open dates, especially when you have an interesting matchup. Is how how these teams fare uh, coming off an open date. And Josh Heupel has a has a very good record. What four and one uh, as a head coach, if I remember correctly. That is correct. Uh, I believe. The open date. Yep. And two well, and zero. Oh, if not five and zero, oh. yeah. I couldn't remember if he was perfect, but he's a very good record regardless. And uh, and you wonder if. Obviously, the rest is a big deal, but um, just from a preparation standpoint, uh, you know, coming up with a with a specifically tailored game plan for a team like Texas A and M, you get to sit back and watch their game, and obviously, probably didn't hurt that they played a really really quality opponent like Alabama mm-hmm. to see what what kind of punches they throw, how they counter what Alabama is doing to them. You get to sort of feel out how they might respond in different situations, uh, what, what what their tendencies are, and things like that. So. Uh, I, I think that's got to help from a preparation standpoint, but yeah, maybe as important as anything like Patrick said, especially Joe Milton, um, yeah, and, and and definitely Cooper Mays and Elijah Simmons too, since those guys have just come back. But getting those guys a week healthier, you're not going to fix everything. Some of those guys that have bumps and bruises are still going to have them, but a week off their feet definitely makes a big difference for these teams going into what should be, as you said, Wes, a pretty grueling month physically with the three the, these three games coming up and the way all three of these teams play a physical brand of football. Yeah, that A&M defensive line is absolutely no joke. That's one of the best in the entire country. I mean, that's a bunch of four- and five-star prospects, uh, several of whom will play in the National Football League. Some of them will be high-round draft picks. They are very, very good up front. Now, if you can get past that D-line, if you can keep your quarterback upright, I think there's some 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 leaky spots in that secondary, and that's something that Tennessee is able to to protect. I think the opportunities for big plays will be there, but uh, you just wonder. Uh, you you kind of you open up those big passing plays with your ability to run the ball, and Tennessee's offense is based so much on that run. And you know it, they're going to have to find some different ways maybe to get that stuff going because A and M's front is going to cause problems in that regard. I, I, it's a really really fascinating matchup to me that in many ways will dictate the game. But what I wanted to talk about now, and as close to the front of the pot as we possibly could, was another big, big benefit to Tennessee's off date coming when it did was that the loss of Brew McCoy and what that does to Tennessee's offense is something that I think will require fairly significant changes in some ways in order to still get production. Now, y'all feel free to disagree with me if you want. I said it in the post-South Carolina pod when we knew that, that he was done uh, for the season. It just wasn't official yet. But, we, I mean, we, we knew, at least I knew when he we were recording the pod, I'd already known that he was already getting prepped for surgery and that he was not going to be uh, playing the rest of the season. But what he does 
is so much more than what the statistics say that that he does. When you watch Tennessee, Brew McCoy is one of those guys who just really, really stands out. First, physically, just looking at him, you know, a, a guy his size, basically a linebacker who is a receiver uh, and and requires so much attention from opposing defenses. He's a guy that you you it's hard to do one on one because he can win those physical battles. And when you run the ball to his side. He almost never misses blocks. He is punishing guys, you know, up to 30, 40, 50 yards downfield on some of these blocks. Just you think about that play with McAllen Castles where he just escorted him, gave him like a presidential escort down the sideline for a touchdown. And when you take a threat like McCoy off the field, there is no version of Tennessee's best-case scenario without Brew McCoy that is better than Tennessee's best-case scenario with Brew McCoy. Doesn't mean the offense can't be as good. Doesn't mean Tennessee can't win a lot of games. Doesn't mean Tennessee can't go out there and maybe compete for a championship. It does, however, mean that a lot of people have to play at least a little bit to a lot better, and a lot of people have to have different roles. And we heard on Monday, Josh Heupel said that you know Dante Thornton Jr. is still listed in the slot there with Squirrel McCoy. Uh, Squirrel McCoy was with Squirrel White there in the slot. Squirrel McCoy, now that would be a that would be a football player, but that Thornton also could go outside with Caleb Webb with Chaz Nimrod and help out there. And of course, you know, let's not forget Thornton himself is coming back from an injury and he sat out last week uh, or two weeks ago in the game against South Carolina. So, long story short, I think the changes to what Tennessee does offensively there won't be like major huge changes. But there will be some significant changes with, you know, some play calling, with ball distribution, with a lot of things. And I'm thinking receivers, some guys got to step up, tight ends, some guys got to step up. And uh, Joe Milton III's got to be a little bit sharper. I think everybody's got to bring things up a little bit in order to keep this thing what it has been. Yeah, I, and, and you uh, mixing up Squirrel and, and Bruce Nay makes me want to uh, do the same for for Nimrod and Caleb Webb. Can we, can we, go, can we go Chaslib? Webrod, does that does that sound good for yeah, you? Yeah, Webrod. Refer I'll, to those yeah. guys. Yeah, like or, just Chaz, or just Chaz Webb, which sounds like a guy I knew in high school, <laughs> or Caleb Nimrod. You, Ryan, you would know a guy named Chaz. Webb. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't actually. It's just <laughs> that's Pete. That's Pete. Ka- I, no, I think you're. I think you're. You you got caught. Yeah, uh, busted. Yeah, um, but uh, it reminds me of when uh, Bill Simmons used to say that he wished you in fantasy football you could take like two running backs that were in a timeshare and combine them. Yes. As opposed to having to pick one, yes. and you can oh, just man. name them. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, th- there's never really been a question about uh, could Dante Thornton play outside. It's just will he? Um, and, and I don't think Tennessee has wanted to play him outside. We'll see if they do. Uh, I, I think they very clearly wanted to bring him in to play in the slot for uh, you know some of the reasons that he can play outside are because he's six five. He's big guy. Uh, he, he's long. He's not big. He's 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 not really a he's not really a power forward like guy. Like got a, bas- like yeah, a basketball looking guy like a wing or or Brew McCoy. Uh, they they wanted to bring him in and use him in the slot, kind of the the uh, the Jalen Hyatt mold more than the throw jump balls to him kind of kind of thing. So um, you know they wanted to work him over the middle of the field. So uh, will we see him outside? I don't know. Um, he, I think he's got to get healthy first and foremost. I think he's questionable. Uh, just put it in NFL injury report terms early uh, at this early stage of the week. Obviously, they have multiple practices in the next couple of days to to get through to see where his hamstring is at. But um, you know, I, they're going to need him to step up when if and when he's available. Uh, I think he's better than what he's shown so far. But he he's got to go out and do it at some point. Um, and then, you know, the two other guys are, are young, Webb and Nimrod. I think they, you know, Heupel's been talking them up publicly, I think trying to build confidence in them. And, um, but you know, there, there's going to be some inconsistency there. And you saw with Nimrod against South Carolina, he, he gets open on one third down ball goes right through his hands, almost off his helmet for a pick, but to his credit, he comes back and it makes it a pretty good away from the body catch of a Joe Milton fastball on a slant for a first down on the, on the last drive. So, um, and then we've seen Caleb Webb catch a touchdown pass, but you know, those guys are going to have to settle into games quickly. They're going to have to, you know, make plays on the perimeter blocking. They're going to have to get off tight coverage. They're going to have to make contested catches. That's just something that we've not seen them do because they haven't played a whole lot. So, 
Um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. And, and does that mean Tennessee forces the football more to squirrel white? You know, he got what nine, 10 targets against South Carolina. I think Ramel Keaton needs to be more involved than he has been. Um, because he's got to play more like a number one receiver. If squirrel's yeah. going to be your, your new quote unquote number one, um, then, then you need Keaton out there to, to do some of the things that he can do, uh, well, in addition to that. And then you, you got to see what you can get. I do think you could see the tight ends used more. I think both, Jacob Warren and McAllen Castles are capable of making plays in the past game. I think I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but um, I, I think they have been targeted a, a decent amount. Could those targets go up by two or three a game? We'll see. Uh, and, and those guys need to make some plays. You know, Warren has been pretty reliable and they've thrown his way. Castles has had some drops, had some, you know, he had the screen that had a chance to go for a big play and he slipped. That's just sort of a tough break, but um, he's also had some plays that he's not made that, that have been there. So, um, like you said, Wes, it's going to take everybody to step up and, you know, we'll have to see if they work, you know, what they, if they, do they work D Williams in there somehow? Do they do something with multiple running backs on the field? I think that's tough to do in those two situations because you, you're playing tempo. You don't want to sub. So if you get those guys involved early in a drive, at some point you're going to have to sub them off and Texas A&M can sub fresh guys on and, uh, that can make things more difficult later in a drive. So, um, th- there's a lot of different things that, that Tennessee has to balance. And, and to Ryan's point earlier, you, you have extra time to sort of go through these things and, and work through some of these things. And it'll be interesting to see what tweaks are made and, and how the offense is, is going to look with those new pieces in at wide receiver there in, instead of brew. And, um, I think it's, it's going to be sort of a, a com- by committee approach and, uh, and we'll just have to see what, what the, uh, what the results are, but, uh, they're going to need those guys to step up. I don't think they need them to be heroes. I don't think they need to go out and be, you know, they don't need to go out and catch 10 passes for 100 yards and two touchdowns. But, you know, can they make a couple of key plays when the football comes their way? I think Joe Milton has trust in, in those young receivers and and trust in Dante Thornton. And, and those guys have all got to make plays when they get their chances. Yeah, that's the question it, for it, me, Ryan. That's the question that I've got is, does this is it easier for Tennessee to get or more likely for the Tennessee gets one guy who almost by himself finds a way to do a lot of the stuff that Brew McCoy does or two. Basically, is it going to be like Ramel Keaton all yes, over again yes. for is this it, team? Is it going to be somebody stepping into that role and doing almost all of the things McCoy does at, at a reasonable level? Or is it more likely that a lot of guys do a little bit more? I, I think I, I, it feels like it's going to be some sort of timeshare between additional receivers. Uh, you know, obviously Dante Thornton, you know, if, assuming he's healthy, and that's that's a big wild card in this. We don't know his health situation for sure, um, but assuming he's healthy, you know, he he should be a big part of the equation. Now it complicates things again that he is the slot receiver. But one thing I'm uh, one one thing I'm not sure has been thrown out there enough is could Dante Thornton be the slot guy and Squirrel White play outside? They've done that um, before. I think, I think we think of Squirrel White as a slot guy because of his size, but I don't think that that um, eliminates the possibility of, of Tennessee playing him out there. Uh, I I could see that maybe in the right scenario. So so does that does that allow Dante Thornton to still play a lot um, and and for Tennessee to kind of get what they believe might be their best three receivers on the field, um, even if that is something they explore? I I still wonder if we see Caleb Webb mixed in as that fourth guy and 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 sort of out of fairness to Chaz Nimrod because he's usually been right there with Caleb Webb. If we see him play some too, it might be uh, not a bigger rotation, but they, I could see them maybe trying to play all five of those guys. Uh, if, if a game goes kind of according to script and the, in the, in the flow of the game uh, allows them to do that, I could see that being a possibility. I'm, I'm a little more skeptical of the, the talk of, of getting two running backs on the field. Jerry Mack at, at the Knoxville quarterback club on Monday did kind of allow for that possibility but that feels like, you know, to Patrick's point that he's made um, before, you know, just the, you know, the, the the down-to-down nature of how Tennessee plays at that tempo doesn't allow for that. So I, I could see that being more of a, a short yardage or, or red zone or, or some drive starting thing where, where you, you know, you could maybe sub sub out those guys and not have to play an entire drive with two backs on the field. Um, we'll, we'll see. I, I'm fascinated to see what Tennessee will do here because this is a, this is a, a scenario that sort of might require some creativity or at least allow for some creativity uh, where you do have some limitations roster-wise. Not a lot of great options at receiver right now. Uh, your scholarship numbers are a little lower. so And there's not a natural guy, if it's not Dante Thornton, to, to just step in and play a lot right away. So do, do, does it, do they do something different that we maybe haven't, haven't seen before as much? Or do they just kind of plug the next guy in and, and, and let that be 
the, the, the situation and they keep rolling. Now, I do think this, to your point, Wes, you're not going to replace everything Brew McCoy does. I just don't think you are. Um, you're just going to be different. Now, I wonder if – I think where they're going to miss Brew McCoy most is you need that third and sixth completion, yep. or like last year against yep. Alabama. Yep. He's not a he's not a burner. He's not a guy that's going to burn you downfield much like he did in the Florida game. You know, he, he's still capable of making those plays, but that's not what he does best. What he does best is when you need to get a completion, he can he can go in there in tight coverage, shield the defender away with his body, and make a tough catch to move the chains. And you're going to miss that now because who is that guy? Ramel Keaton? I mean, I, I don't know. That's that's where this offense might need to look to the tight ends a little bit more, or someone else get the running backs involved out of the backfield more something to kind of keep the chains moving in those situations where you need six or seven yards and don't need a big play down the field. On the other hand, I think you can be a little bit faster now. You could maybe be a little more athletic if you get Dante Thornton involved. I think personally you've got to kind of force feed Dante Thornton and just get him the ball, even if it's throwing him some screen passes as this offense has done a lot this year, doing some different things to just make sure he's incorporated in the offense, get him involved. He could maybe give you a, a dynamic you haven't had as much this year, a little more speed. If you get him and Squirrel White out there together, that's a lot of speed for, for opposing defenses to have to worry about. So maybe before they didn't have to bring Thornton along the same way. Now they obviously have to. And, and so is, if he's ready, if he's healthy, I, I think it's time to just you know, get him out there and, and do what, whatever he can do. If there are any limitations, you know, maybe, maybe you play him situationally or whatever, but I just think you've got to somehow bring him along and you can be different and yet still just as effective maybe with more speed out there on the field. But to your point, Wes, you're never going to replace the blocking, the leadership for that matter, all the things that Brew McCoy gives you. It's just going to have to be a different wide receiver group and maybe sort of a different personality of this offense if they can get those guys all rolling. Yeah, I think a few things on this. I I, I think that, that, you know, that when you look at the way that this – coaching staff has kind of settled into a rhythm. It was basically the first few games of the Hypo era. They were trying to rotate all these receivers, do all this stuff. They quickly realized, I can't do that anymore. So from that point, they've kind of kept it to three or four guys doing almost all of the work. And anything you do in coaching, just like anything you do in life, comes with risk. And one of the risks is if you rely so heavily on a few offensive players at a certain position and you don't rotate a lot – you're really banking on those guys staying healthy. And when they don't, when, when one of them gets hurt, it could throw a wrench into things. Tennessee got lucky in some ways that Ramel Keaton was able to step in and fill in when, when Tillman went out because we all thought, wow, that's that's different. But you think about it, who was still there when Tillman went out? McCoy, who could do some of those same physical things that Tillman can do with tough catches and all those things. So when you operate the way that they want to, it, it – it takes a lot. There's risk involved in one of those risks is when a guy gets hurt, it's hard to sometimes replace that. But if that's what works for you most of the time, that's why you do it. It's anything in life is a risk. You, you, you take the risk and you go. Now, the other part of it is I think there's a difference in coaches who can operate a system brilliantly if they have the right pieces for it. But when you think about what a great coach, what the great coaches are, what the best coaches are, they work with whatever they have in front of them and they reconfigure things and they find a way to have success. So this is a big test for Hypel and, the, and those guys, but we've seen this before where they have learned on the fly that some things about their offense are not what they thought they were, maybe even the quarterback in, in the past. And they've made a change and they've gone with it and rolled with it and, and then had success. So, you know, when you talk about the tough catches thing, I think we saw a little bit in the South Carolina game, we saw Jacob Warren make a couple of tough catches. You know, he's a guy who maybe could could maybe get himself more involved in those kind of third and sixth situations. So I think there's a lot of options here, but it is a big test for Hypo and those guys. I mean, you you get all this money, uh, and with that comes responsibility and pressure. And I think there's a lot of pressure on these guys now to figure out what the new normal is going to be because I don't think they absolutely know right now. Yeah, there, there's going to be a feeling out process. And to the, to the point, um, you guys made with, with Brew. I go back to the very first third down of the South Carolina game when he gets positioned on a slant and makes the play. Um, now, because and that's important because he is really effective at that route because of his size and his yeah. frame. And that's probably one of the best routes that Joe Milton throws is is the quick slant. He's really, yeah. or at least it was against South Carolina. So 
Um, and, and we saw it a little bit last uh, in the in the Orange Bowl as well. Keaton, I think Keaton can make those plays, uh, but I do think that the the tight ends have a chance. Those are both bigger body, physical guys on the edge that that can be tough matchups against safeties, as much in the way that maybe Brew is a tough matchup against a corner. Uh, but to your point, Wes, I've thought this over the last few days is that you know this has a chance to be one of you know this might not be Josh Heupel's best team at Tennessee, but this has a chance to be one of his better coaching jobs if he's able to work through this situation. Then you throw in what happened with Keenan Peely. Obviously the defensive staff had really high expectations for what he was going to bring. They had, they brought him in so they didn't have to throw the Elijah Herrings and Arian Carters and Jeremiah T. Landers in too soon. Well, he gets hurt in the first game and now they've had to adjust and, and do things on the fly with that group and, and force feed those guys. And I think they're going to have to kind of maybe do the same thing uh, with, with the receivers now with, with Brew being out. Obviously they, you know, the situation is what it is. They've created it where, they're they're low on numbers at receiver, right? I mean, they pretty much have five guys that they're going to have to roll with for the rest of the season because I don't I don't think Nathan Leacock is ready to be much of a factor at this point, given that he hasn't played at all. Um, but I think he probably has to be on standby at this point just yeah. because um, you know he's he's maybe one or two guys away from having to you know be next in line. So um, it, it, how do they tweak this offense? I think you've already seen the offense kind of shift from what it was, you know, last season. It was big pass play after big pass play. They just home run teams into into oblivion. This year they're having to sort of rely on the run game and sort of ground teams out with, um, you know, the way the running backs are playing. And and it's because you know the the strength of that team last season was the quarterback and the receivers. And you know I think the strength of this team, at least on offense, is probably the running backs at this point. Um, those three guys are really good. I don't know. I haven't studied every depth chart in the league, but I I think you'd be hard pressed to find three running backs and one program maybe outside of Georgia um, that are as good as uh, and have been as productive as, as Jalen Wright, Jawari Small, and Dylan Sampson. So they've leaned on those guys. I was doing some looking up some stuff. I think they've gotten the ball in like almost 50% of Tennessee's plays, and they've accounted for 50% of their yards, those guys running and, and catching the football. So, you know, but, you know, I, I think you're going to continue to see that shift, and, and they're going to have to sort of tweak things to, to cover up for Brew because he was obviously a, a very important piece of the offense. And, um, again, like you said, Wes, these guys, they've been doing this for a long time. They know how to tweak game plans, and, and the game plan is going to be different from week to week. There might be weeks where you have a better advantage or a better matchup with Jacob Warren, and, and maybe some weeks you don't. Um, and so, you know, but I think those two veteran guys are are capable of making plays, and, and that would probably be, I, I think they – they have to be included in this group as well. But uh, if Tennessee is able to, you know, average 38, 40 points a game, I think they're at 36 right now with this situation that they've got without brew. I think that would be a really, really excellent coaching job for Tennessee. And then they've got to go out and do it with some really good defenses up next. That's a good point, Patrick. And, and yeah, this, this is kind of the, maybe the biggest challenge we've seen for, for Tennessee's offense in the Josh Heupel era. It's still, a, it's still a very manageable one. It's not that they, they don't, have a lot to work with they obviously still do but um you know one of the questions i think a lot of people are naturally going to ask is is this team going to rely a little more on the running game and that um you know i I think that was something that you need need to look at anyway um but this 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 offense just might need to be more of a run first kind of team i don't think they're going to go 65 35 in favor of the run or anything like that but uh it to me that's that's been what this team has has done best. Now the problem is you're going into the meat of your schedule where that's going to be tougher the next three weeks than it has been to any point um, so far or at any point so far. And, and that's um, obviously Texas A&M might be you know, as big of a challenge as, as any of those with what they have on the defensive line. So, um, you know, ha- this to me, and, and we'll obviously get it more into the specific matchup a little later, but this feels to me like a game that Joe Milton might have to win uh, on some level um, because that, you know, or at least they might have to, be a little more creative in how they get those running backs the ball this week, because if they just kind of try to run it uh, the the way they usually do, um, you know, just sort of, sort of those, uh, a lot of those inside zone plays and things like that, they're, they're, they're going to have a tougher time, I think against Texas A&M. So can they, can they sort of do some things differently and, and, uh, and maybe scheme some guys in, into open field uh, this week? Uh, and I would imagine we'll see some different wrinkles. You know, the shovel pass has been a nice addition for them uh, to, to get those guys the ball. Um, you know, some, some different wrinkles, maybe this week might be needed. Um, but it feels like to me, a team that might have to rely on those running backs. Those, those guys have been their best players. You know, it might be time to just sort of embrace that. Even if it doesn't mean getting two of them on the field at the same time, just sort of making those guys the, the focal point. But again, that, that still goes back to brew McCoy because you are 
going to miss his blocking on the perimeter, especially when you spring those guys into open field. Yeah, the last thing I'll say before going to break here is that I, I think it's important to remember that all the things we've just discussed are very valid, um, but it's also good and probably a healthy mindset for Tennessee fans this week to remember that Josh Heupel almost almost never coaches out of fear. He, he does not – he's sitting there thinking about what he has available, not what he doesn't have, and he's thinking about how he can hurt opponents with the people that he has and what they can do to bother whoever they're playing. And I think that's a healthy thing. I think that's one of the reasons why Tennessee has kind of jumped the curve on the rebuild process is because Tennessee does not operate or coach out of fear usually. It operates out of uh, aggression in your face. This is how we're going to give you problems. This is what we're presenting to you. Now you deal with this. So I think that's a, a good thing to remember that, that Hypel may be thinking about this completely differently from we are, or at least projecting a different image than we are right now talking about this. So we got a lot more to discuss. Uh, we got to talk about a little bit about AM. We're going to talk about them more later in the week, but I think this is a good week to talk about the opponent a good bit because this is an opponent that Tennessee does not see all that often. So I think this is a good sort of, you know, open date was a good chance to kind of get a look at those guys. And I think a lot of us watched that game. It was a good game. And so probably have some fresh thoughts on that and how that matchup with Tennessee looks. And, and then we'll wrap things up later with asking Ryan about what went on at the Knoxville Quarterback Club on Monday. Um, but before we do all of those things, let's step away for a minute. Let's pay some bills, listen to product services, in-house ads, et cetera, and then come right back here on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Hashtag ad. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome back to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever product services and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. Patrick Brown from his undisclosed location and Ryan Callahan from his home daycare center. Talking Tennessee football, the 19th ranked Vols hosting Texas A&M in a checker kneeling game on Saturday, 3.30 p.m. Eastern on CBS, the greatest network ever invented or ever conjured in the minds of anyone on this or any other planet. We got a lot to discuss, and we're going to get right back to discussing all that. Before we do that, though, just a quick request from our end. Please take about a minute out of your day. If you get, It's just a minute, guys. Think about how many minutes are in a day. I'm not good at math, but whatever. You got 24 hours. You know, that's a lot of minutes in a day. Take one minute. Please go in there, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're just listening on the website at GoVols247.com, we have no problem with that. There is no wrong way to consume this podcast. We love you all the same. But it helps us out the most if you go in there, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, Amazon, anywhere in the world you can cast the fine pod, you can find this podcast. Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We do this for free. We're happy to do it. We're happy to do it for free. But since we are doing it for free, I don't think it's too much to ask to go rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. Tell people that you know. Tell people online. Tell people that you see uh, You know, in the actual world. If you're out there in the virtual world or and or the real world, just go tell people about this podcast. You would be amazed how many people are listening to this podcast because they've been told by somebody else about it. So please keep doing that. If you're already doing that, thank you. We love you. If not... I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Texas A&M, guys. Texas A&M played a big game on Saturday. The uh, the Aggies kind of tried to circle the wagons, hosted Alabama. The Crimson Tide had a chance there at Rock and Kyle Field to, uh, to, to do all that yelling stuff that they do and get all fired up and and kind of punch punch Bama right in the mouth and kind of get a big statement win for those guys because Jimbo Fisher and his staff are paid a lot of money and have not had the results necessarily to back it up. So, um, And I already had a disappointing loss to Miami this season. Shout out Mario Cristobal for his epic late game management over the weekend. Um, but this is – that was a big, big chance for AM. And I think because the three of us, along with everybody else who's associated with Tennessee football, did not have a Tennessee game to watch or cover on Saturday – we had more time to see some other games, and I got to watch most of that A&M-Alabama game. Um, quick, I guess, um, 
caveat to that is that uh, my best friend was in town from Brooklyn over the weekend, he and his wife and, and son. And so we were doing some of the catch up stuff and do all that. But we were doing that while my buddy and I were watching AM Alabama and just hoping the kids weren't, you know, punching each other in the face. So we were able to watch a lot of that game. And I got the impression that this is a really interesting matchup for Tennessee. Really, really on both sides of the ball, it's a really interesting matchup. But before we do that, I think one of the biggest things about this entire week, and this is a question maybe the three of us can't answer, um, but I think so much of this week comes down to where is A&M emotionally, physically after that game? Because you circle the wagons, you try to get things back on track, you try to you know get Bama, punk them at home, beat them, and then kind of use that to rally. You'd still be undefeated in SEC play, and you got a lot to play for. And then to lose it like that late, have opportunities, not close them out, lose the game, then you're you're getting on a plane the next week going to one of the toughest places to play in the country, and you got to play a pretty decent team itself in Tennessee. I think where A&M is mentally this week is a huge deal, and that's something that has nothing to do with Tennessee. Yeah, and, and the uh, another trend that, that Tennessee obviously would like to see continue is I think Tennessee's won 12 in a row, right, at home, dating back to the 2021 season. Yeah. Texas A&M has lost seven straight road games, including the one to Miami earlier this season. So, uh, and you know they lost however many games on the road last season when they sort of face planted. So, uh, I realize these are different teams, but you know if we're going to talk about Tennessee having its issues on the road, I think the same probably might apply to, to Texas A&M at this point. They're go, they're going to be going in there with a backup quarterback. Uh, their offensive line is is veteran, has a lot of experience, but also gave up five sacks to. Alabama, who's got a pretty good defensive front. Um, I think the 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 without getting too much into the the preview side of it, the uh, the the big questions I have are: are can Tennessee handle Texas A&M, te- Texas A&M's defensive line, and and how do they handle those three receivers? Because uh, Evan Stewart, Moose Muhammad, and and Anaya Smith are really good. So those are the questions slash concerns I have. But I I think to your point, Wes, you know Texas A&M. You know, it's always tough to play Alabama. That's always a physical team. Uh, everybody gets up when they play Alabama. I know that's a, a very Alabama fan. Oh, everyone, you know, we're everyone's Super Bowl. Shout kind out Spencer Rattler. But kind of true. Um, but I mean, everybody gets up for for playing Alabama, and so uh, you know, for Texas A&M to to be up for that game, have a lead, I think at halftime, and um, you know, some of the momentum swings in that game, and some of the opportunities that the Aggies had, where you know, why are they why are they punting it? on fourth and one at the 45 why are they you know some of the decision making at the end of drives is a little peculiar from my standpoint so uh, a little conservative and and when you make a when you make some calls like that in a game to quote unquote not lose a lot of times you probably end up losing so um but uh again i i think if if you're tennessee you're at home you've been really good at home um you need to keep that up and and certainly i think coming off an open date and being at home, I think is, is a big advantage for Tennessee going into this game. I know that's not really earth shattering analysis, but I, I think it's true. Yeah, I think it is too. And and that's, uh, you know, you wonder, I mean, home crowd, obviously, as you said, not only has Tennessee been good at home under Josh Heupel, but Josh Heupel has been very good at home throughout his head coaching career. I, I forget the number off the top of my head. I think he's like 29 and three at home between Tennessee and UCF. So, you know, we've talked about before whether the, the communication aspect of Tennessee's um, offense, you know, being at home makes a huge difference. You know, those numbers certainly <laughs> lend uh, lend some uh, validity to that argument. But it's a uh, it, it's a it's a matchup that's really interesting to me because that you know, in a lot of ways, I feel like I know less about this Tennessee team a month into the season than I do any Tennessee team in recent memory, just because they've played a couple SEC games. But Florida and South Carolina, in some ways, aren't very good. South Carolina has obviously a good quarterback. You don't you don't knock them uh, entirely, but that was a fairly one dimensional offense going in. Not a team with a good running game, struggling at the line of scrimmage. Florida has had some offensive limitations. They're also just really weird. You know, they've got a quarterback completing eighty percent of his passes because they don't throw the ball down the field. <laughs> so um, there were things about that matchup that were challenging, maybe or different from what you'll see in other weeks, but it's still not a very good Florida team. And I think that loss is going to look bad uh, as the season goes on uh, and, and will probably continue to, even though they actually beat Vanderbilt on Saturday. Um, so I, I I say that just to say I, I don't know what they're going to look like against a quality opponent. I mean, we Tennessee's offensive line looked a lot better against South Carolina 
and South Carolina's defensive line isn't bad. So that was a, that was a big step forward for them. And they, they need to continue that and build on that obviously against Texas A&M because this is easily the biggest challenge they've faced so far this year, but how are they going to adapt to that? Um, and, and can they rise to the, to the occasion against a, a defensive line that good? Will that allow their run game to, to operate the way it has so far? They lead the SEC in rushing yards per game. If that can continue, boy, it's, it's going to be tough for Texas A&M to win this game on the road, I think. So uh, that, that's, a, that's obviously a big key, but I, I'm just assuming it's going to be tough for sledding for Tennessee in this game. So, um, and then Texas A&M, there's some weird things about them. You know, they're, they're, they're a team that has run the ball better uh, in, their, in, in a couple of their previous games compared to what they did Saturday. So I think you could look at the stats from this game and think, that they aren't maybe as, as good uh, offensively. But a lot of that, I think, is just how well Alabama's playing defensively now, especially in the second half. Uh, they've been awesome in the second half of their last five games. So I, I, think, I think Texas A&M has, 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 has presents some challenges that, that Tennessee's going to have to play well defensively, clean up some of those issues in the run game. You know, they've allowed a long touchdown run in each of their SEC games so far. Can't have that kind of stuff in this game. Got to make Texas A&M earn it the hard way. And I think they've got to, you know, be able to take advantage of what looks like the vulnerability of Texas A&M's defense, which is the secondary. I agree, Wes. They they look like they um, can be beaten down the field, and, and this this game might be on Joe Milton to do that. At the same time, I think Auburn only threw for like 56 yards against them. Um, Auburn's had some issues, obviously, so that's maybe more on them than Texas A&M. But they've been sort of a weird team too. It just seemed Alabama really picked on them uh, in the passing game, and, and that's where they were able to kind of win that game in the second half. So. It's a it's a tough matchup for Tennessee. I fully expect this to be Tennessee's toughest game, and it might come down to the question I've wondered about all season: Can Joe Milton help Tennessee pull out a close game? Because I I I, I have the sense that this this game's not going to be very high scoring, and if that's the case, it might come down to who makes more plays in the fourth quarter between the quarterbacks. Yeah, when I look at it, I, I think it, it comes down to a couple of big philosophical questions if I'm Tennessee's coaches this week. And, of course, if I'm Tennessee's coaches this week, Tennessee's losing because I would suck as a coach probably. But I'm just in my mind thinking that if you go – when you look at A&M, you see how ferocious sort of that front four is and how much pressure those guys can bring. They can kind of crater an offensive line pretty quickly in some cases. And then you see you combine that or you couple that with some of the issues on the back end, the guys getting open in space. And it comes down to one big debate, which is how aggressive are you going to be? Because now we think about offensive football these days, so many offenses, it's about the quarterback getting rid of the ball as quickly as possible, right? It's high efficiency. Take a, If they're going to give you four yards, five yards, take four or five yards. You take what you're given. You get rid of it quickly. You don't have negative plays. You don't let sacks kind of get you behind the chains. And it's just more about you know an analytical, efficient type approach than we've seen at times in the past with this sport. However you get to the point where this might be a game where you do the the risk-reward calculation changes because you're going to probably get sacked a few times. You're gonna, your quarterback's going to get hit a few times. But if you still do some of those deep drops or you get guys into space downfield, you have the opportunity to make not just one or two, but like a bunch of big plays. You'll have the opportunity back there with the speed you have at receiver – you have an opportunity to do some of those things. So that, to me, is a really big sort of pick-and-choose moment of how you handle this game philosophically because A&M, if you run it right at them, you might not have as much success as you normally have doing that against most teams. So, and then if you do that kind of quick perimeter kind of pass game stuff, you know, do you want to dink and duck down the field, which no shame in that. It all counts the same, right? But when you drop back deep, you got a chance to really hammer these guys, but that also means you're going to take sacks and have some three and outs and stuff. So I, I, I honestly don't know what I'd do as a coach because I don't know as much as they do about the specific matchups, but to me that's a really fascinating question this week. Yeah, I think the question, that, you know, how will, will Texas A&M play Tennessee's offense? Because that's the question every week, right? Because, you know, the way that Tennessee plays offense, teams almost have to – say they have to choose one door or door two yeah door one is we're going to sit two high safeties you're not going to hit home runs on us and we're going to let, we'll let you run the ball but we're going to make you methodically drive the ball down the field maybe commit or not commit convert some third downs or we're going to be you know we're, we're going to sell out to stop the run at it you know keep a safety down 
near the box and make you throw the ball uh, and, and take the risk. We're just not going to let you run the ball. We're going to try to get you in third, second long, third long. Um, A&M has been really blitz heavy this season. Um, and, and that's in, it's, it's it's interesting to me because you would think with all the you know the hullabaloo about their defensive line that they would just be teeing off on teams with just four guys, but that doesn't seem to be the case. I'm I'm looking at Pro Football Focus right now, and they blitz Jalen Milrow 65 percent of the time on Saturday. So, you know, if you do that, you know, yeah, you're going to get some sacks, but like we saw on Saturday, you're also probably going to give up some plays because you know if a quarterback has enough time to throw one up. Their guy can make a play over your guy. That's just kind of how it happens. We saw that happen with Jermaine Burton. So, um, you know, that that's it, it's an interesting way to go about it because again, you would think with what we hear and what you know, the numbers, the sack numbers, the tackles for loss numbers, you would think that Texas AM could maybe be a little bit more, okay, we're gonna play your front with our front. We're gonna lean on our defensive line to contain your run game and keep, you know, we're gonna get the best of both worlds because we have the personnel to do so. But they don't seem to be playing that way, which uh, I think will be an interesting thing. And and it goes back to what we said, I think, a, a couple times on the, or, or over the past couple of weeks on this podcast, something that Josh Heupel said is Tennessee's got to be able to hit some of these downfield shots. They're going to get them. They get them every game. A lot's been made about Tennessee throwing the ball, you know, horizontally so much more this season compared to last season. And that's true. But they're, the, the difference in how many downfield shots they're taking hasn't been that different. Um, it, it's pretty similar to what they were doing with Hinton Hooker last season. So they just, they just haven't hit them as much because receiver drops a pass. The throw is off by Milton. They can't step into a throw or is throwing under pressure because of a breakdown on, on, on the offensive line. So um, they have to get all of those things clicking. If there was ever a game for, for Tennessee to hit on six or seven of those home run balls, this would be the one because, uh, A, I think they're going to be there. B, uh, to Ryan's point, earlier you're going to need some of them because it's going to be hard to run on this team because they're a really good defensive line the the key to defending tennessee earlier this year and we and we only have one game to judge with this what what probably will be the offensive line again this week uh, which is what we saw against south carolina with cooper mays at center ollie lane at left guard which we'll see if andre andre carrick is is part of the equation there or if they just stick with lane either way um and then and then gerald mincy at right tackle and it, it obviously looked much better in that game uh, they were they were more uh, just just more in control up front. It looked like, and uh, obviously had some success in the run game against South Carolina, averaging about six yards a carry. Three running backs, all scoring touchdowns. Um, but but man, you know, Pat, Patrick, you had the uh, the stat uh, the stat pack looking at, uh, at where Tennessee ranks uh, in, in a lot of categories uh, five games into the season, and it, it's pretty enlightening in a lot of areas. Um, you know, compared to where they were last year. Um, and, and especially for me, passing offense, you know, last year, fifth in, in FBS with 326 yards per game this year, 68 with 235 yards a game. They're, they're 91 yards off what they, uh, what they were last year, uh, in terms of average passing yards per game and yards per attempt. This one, uh, we discussed this on, on the, the sports source in, in, in Knoxville on Sunday as well. Uh, the, the 7.1 yards per attempt, it's by far the lowest that a Josh Heupel coached team during his time as head coach at UCF in Tennessee has averaged. I think the next lowest average was 8.5 yards per attempt. Um, that's really, really not efficient in the passing game. And as long as Tennessee is that easy to defend from a passing standpoint, and, and remember, that's that's the concern I would have is they've not really faced a great defense yet. Um, five games against those kinds of defenses and you're 78th nationally in yards per attempt, um, 72nd in passer rating. So many passes behind the line of scrimmage that obviously has a lot to do with it. But um, th- this is just, and, and without Brew McCoy, they've got to become a more efficient passing game somehow, some way. And it probably has to start this week. So um, I think Texas A&M is going to do what a lot of previous teams have done, though. Uh, and this, what we've seen, where we've seen Tennessee struggle has been with not the the group we saw against South Carolina. But so many teams have sort of said, "Hey, we're not going to not going to put heavy numbers in the box." And yeah. and Tennessee still yeah. hasn't blocked it very well up front at times. With favorable boxes, they've still struggled to run the ball at times, and that's made it so much easier for teams to kind of hold their passing game in check. We'll see now with this five up front if Texas A&M can do that, if they can only have five or six guys in the box and still stop Tennessee's run game, it's going to be a long day for them. But if Tennessee makes Texas A&M make that choice and decide, hey, do we have to put somebody else in the box or do something different to stop the run game, that that's, that's where Tennessee's going to have a lot more options. I just don't think until teams see Tennessee consistently do that, run well with uh, with even favorable numbers in the box. 
I don't think teams are going to defend them differently. I think it's going to be stop them from beating you downfield and, and make them drive down the field, which they've not shown consistently enough that they can do. Yeah, I, I would. I've said this before, and I'll I'll repeat it. I, I would drop at least seven on most snaps. I would sit too high, and I would make and I would sit in in zones and kind of make Joe Milton make reads. And and even if he has a little bit of time, that wouldn't necessarily bother me. I would I would much rather do that to confuse him than than just kind of playing fast and pressuring him and then letting maybe some open spaces on the back end and, and some opportunities for big plays. I would much rather, uh, if I were a defensive coach playing Tennessee, I would much rather sit back and make them read and make decisions and keep keep them in front. That's that's what I would do. But I, I think the reason why we don't talk about a lot of the other matchup is because I, I'm i not going to speak for all of us, but I we'll talk about it later in the week. But <clears throat> on the other matchup, I, I think Tennessee's defense against A&M's offense, I think it's not like one-sided by any means, but I, I like that matchup for Tennessee for the most part. I think Smith and some of those guys are dangerous and are going to make a couple of big plays just because that's what they're going to do. But I, I kind of like this matchup for Tennessee facing that A&M offense. I'm not – I'm not saying it's a slam dunk, but if you're asking me right here on Monday afternoon, I feel pretty good about that matchup for Tennessee. Yeah, I do, I do too, Wes. I mean, again, you're, you're getting a backup quarterback, and I think Max Johnson is probably a better backup quarterback than maybe a lot of them in the league, but he was a backup for a reason, and, and Connor Wegman was the, the starter for a reason. So um, I, I don't think A&M's offense has been otherworldly. I, I don't know. Um, um, I'm trying to pull up the numbers here. I'm doing all this on the fly, so bear with me. Um, a and is scoring; they're scoring 35 points a game. That's a little Mis- tilted, misleading, um, misleading. It's been hit. It's been hit and miss. Yeah, uh, against Power Five teams, they're averaging, I guess, only 28. They're averaging like 50 against non-Power Five teams. So. Um, and, and they've gotten some help too, I think, with some, some maybe some non-offensive scores. Uh, didn't they have a punt return for a touchdown against Arkansas? Am I remembering that correctly? Yes, I'm pretty sure they did. Um, and you know, I, I think Auburn's a pretty good defense. I think Alabama's a pretty good defense. And, and A&M, um, they scored what did they score? They scored 27 on Auburn and 20 against Alabama. Um, and they scored 33 on Miami uh, early in the season. You know, it is what it is. Anyways, so I, again, I don't, but that was with Wegman too. So that's kind of what you're you're looking at. So uh, thirty points seems to be the the magic number for Tennessee. Uh, Josh Heupel's record is really really good when Tennessee scores at least thirty, um, and, and Tennessee has held it. You know, going back to all, you know, if you include all last season, they've held fifteen of their past eighteen opponents under thirty. So and then all five this season. Florida got twenty six and a half. Um, and you know, it, it, are we are we ever going to see that? Tennessee defense again, or is that just the old Tennessee's playing in Gainesville and weird-ish happens? That's what I'm thinking until proven otherwise. <laughs> I've said That's, it before. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, we've seen that for years on on end now. So, um, But, yeah, if Tennessee defense plays as well as, as it's capable of playing, I, I think it's a matchup that's um, that they can feel good about. Again, you have to go out and play the game and make plays. That's what it comes down to. But um, I'm not, you know, there. I think there are better offenses coming up that, that Tennessee's going to play. Uh, than, than the one they're going to face this week. I, I would agree with that. I, I, you know, again, it sort of goes back to the competition they've faced. They've, you know, South Carolina is the best offense they've they've played to this point. They, they were a little more one dimensional, at least looked it looked like going into that game. But they did a great job on Spencer Rattler, and I think that that bodes well going into this game. I, I liked some of the creativity we saw from Tim Banks uh, schematically in, because, in that South Carolina Leggett, game. Because really good, really, really, really good, and and did not well, give them too many problems. Well, and, the, and the, yeah, the way they defended him, they gave some different looks to, you know, James Pierce and, and some of those guys were lined up off the ball in some situations as, as kind of linebackers and uh, did, did some different things. So they, they, they did throw some different things at them. And I, I, I liked to, to see that because I, I think that's the kind of thing you, you know, I don't feel like we've talked about a, a whole lot of, a whole lot of the game plans they've had defensively really throwing a, throwing a wrench into things for an opponent. It seemed like they had a really good plan for, for slowing down Leggett in particular and, and taking away what South Carolina wanted to do. So can, can they do that this week with, you know, as we said earlier, some, some good receivers at Texas A&M, you know, kind of weapons all over the field. Again, Alabama neutralized it, but, but you know, a good run game too. Uh, I think they had 200 yards rushing in back-to-back games before the Alabama game, so they're certainly capable of beating you that way. That's, 
that's why when I when I looked at it, I mean Tennessee's only allowing 115 rushing yards per game, but when I looked at it, they've not. It doesn't feel like they've been quite as dominant against the run as they sometimes were last year. I feel like they were really good run it's, defense last year. They've been pretty good this year. You it's, know? it's hard. It's hard to sort of read what the run defense stats are because a they're skewed by the sacks because college football yep. is archaic and includes yeah. that in the rushing total. Also, Tennessee's given up a 62 yard touchdown and a 75 yard touchdown. Yep. So that's going to skew your numbers. You, you know, if you took out those two runs, I know you can't because they happen. But you know, when they don't have catastrophic meltdowns or misfits or terrible tackling by Kamal Haddon. I think they're keeping everything pretty, pretty well locked up. I, I, I still look at this defense and, and I think if you're running the ball, you're probably doing Tennessee a favor, but yeah. maybe that's, maybe that's 2022 thinking on my part. But, I was gonna say, but that's what jumps out at me is they're so much better statistically this year. Maybe the biggest jump they've made is in, in their past defense and it's five games in and it's not, you've not been playing great teams, but I, they're not going to play many great quarterbacks anyway, all season. Um, you know they're they're putting up some really impressive numbers uh, in terms of pass defense. Uh, opponent passer rating only thirty seventh in the country. Passing defense currently 29th in the country, allowing one hundred ninety two point eight yards per game after last year, allowing two ninety eight and a half for the season um, per game. So that that's that's a big big jump. Uh, and and the rush defense looks like kind of you know status quo, if not a slight step back. But as you said, it's it's obviously uh, skewed by the fact that you've given up two long touchdown runs to to Florida and South Carolina. But that's that would be a little bit of the concern for me is, is you've, you've shown the tendency to do that in a couple games and it's, it only has to happen once or twice. Um, but if they, if they get, you know, have a, have a misfit and, and somebody out of position in the wrong situation on, on a third and short or something, especially it can be a long touchdown run in a hurry. Um, and, and so this team's got to be good. Those young linebackers, Elijah Herring, Arion Carter, Jeremiah T. Lander, they've got to be on point. Uh, those safeties can't be out of position. They've, they've got to be sound up front because this is the kind of game that could be could be swayed by a single play like that. Uh, and they've got to be good on special teams. And Aya Smith is a really good punt returner, as, as you said. Uh, I think a, a, a return for a touchdown had a long one against Alabama Saturday, too. Um, they've been very good on special teams, so I, I don't worry about them too much generally. But I, I think they've got to be they've got to be especially good in this game to make sure Anaya Smith doesn't beat them and, and set up a, at least set up a scoring opportunity for them with a the long return. Ryan, last thing before we get out of here is you were at the quarterback club on Monday. The rest of us, <coughs> excuse me, the rest of us went to uh, talk to Heupel and the players today. What, what was going on there with, uh, with, with Jerry Mack, the running backs coach there at the quarterback club? Yeah. Uh, as I kind of predicted to myself before they started, uh, a couple questions about Dylan Sampson came up from the crowd. He, he gave him a chance to ask, ask a few questions. And, and one was specifically whether there was any way to get Dylan Sampson on the field with another running back uh, at the same time. And he, he said, there's a, there's a good chance of, of that still happening, but you know, he also uh, kind of just made it sound like they've, they've got to uh, just, just sort of find the way to, to use their personnel in the best way possible and said, you know, he's still going to get, a series or two in, in, in each half, just the way the game uh, progresses, that, that's, that's just his series. Um, so he didn't make it sound like even if you do see something like that, that it would be a big part of the game plan. But he did he did leave that door open that maybe you could see a different package like that, at least in some situations. So um, we'll, we'll see. that. I, I'm a little skeptical of those kinds of things, but, but maybe in some situation Tennessee mixes in a, a couple running backs. Um, he was also asked specifically, <laughs> very, very funny how it was, was worded from the person in the crowd, said, uh, a lot of soft questions so far. Why did Dylan Sampson not play in the Florida game? There you go. There you go. Right <laughs> and, at uh, it. And, uh, you know, it said kind of what I thought. He said, you know, a lot of it was sort of the game flow. Uh, and he's, he's said that before, but he specifically mentioned uh, at, the, at the quarterback club that um, a lot of it was that they got behind in the game and wanted uh, the, their best pass protectors in there. And they felt like, you know, Sampson – kind of being the lightest of those three guys didn't want to, to give up something in pass protection and, and kind of felt like Jalen Wright and Jabari small were the, were the safest bets in that regard. And just basically the, the game sort of got away from them. And, um, and, he, and he was set to go in for the third or fourth series in that game, even, but even in the first half, things that kind of had changed to the point that Tennessee sort of had to alter its game plan a little bit in the first half. And they ended up throwing more than they went into the game planning to. So um, that, that was his explanation for that. But, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of talk about uh, just the offense in, in general and you know, uh, adjusting to life without Brew McCoy. We also got to hear from a couple of Tennessee's players. Um, one of them specifically got to address that a little bit. Ramel Keaton was there along with Aaron Beasley. Um, you know, and Ramel Keaton didn't say a, a whole lot about Never that. Really Never really does. Never really does. Yeah, but, but, but obviously was, um, was touching on that and just sort of how they have to 
how they have to adapt and, and have guys step up. And I think they feel pretty, pretty confident about that, you know, about themselves, about that, that group and, and feel that they're, you know, he, he did mention that he feels they're kind of um, starting to settle in, find their groove a little bit in the passing game. And we'll see if that continues, but certainly they feel like they've um, started to play a little bit better recently. And, um, you know, that's obviously the hope five games in that, you know, some of the coaches have talked about that before this being an offense that, you know, doesn't, doesn't click right away sometimes. And we've seen that in the past. So we'll see if time and, and experience can kind of help those guys settle in. But Ramel Keaton was um, certainly hopeful that that would be the case. It also came up. <laughs> those guys uh, were asked about how they would celebrate if they won at Alabama. And I thought they wouldn't take the bait on that, uh, that, that, you know, they didn't want to talk about um, the poss- even the possibility of beating Alabama for the second straight year. And they, you know, they, they didn't say a whole lot about it, but both did kind of say uh, that they'd be looking for a cigar to, to smoke if that happens. Well, yeah, so, uh, hell yeah. I mean, yeah. So, so yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll see, but obviously uh, the, the fact that you're getting questions about that uh, almost two weeks out uh, re- reminds you Texas A&M is a big one. It's an important game for Tennessee, but, uh, next week in Tuscaloosa is certainly going to be uh, an even bigger one for the fan base, at least, and uh, and a lot of people around that game. They'll be watching, you know, maybe even across the country with what's on the line in that one potentially. That game will also be on CBS. Three thirty will. Three thirty p.m. on the greatest network ever been conjured in the mind of any living creature on this planet. But um, you know, if you want to make Alabama big, you gotta. You know, you want it's going to be big no matter what. But you know, you you beat A and M, and all of a sudden it becomes a, a lot bigger. So you know, it, it creates a bigger stage. So, anyways, there's a lot going on this week. We're going to have several podcasts. We got a lot to discuss, um, but I think we got off to a pretty good start here on Monday, kind of setting the scene for what is not maybe a gargantuan week for Tennessee, but a big week for Tennessee. This is a big week for the Vols if they want to stay on track, if they want to stay in the fight, if they want to make games like Alabama and Georgia even bigger well, you got to take care of business against the a&ms and the kentuckys of the world you got to do that so tennessee you say that like they're the same a&m's talent is, is as good i was going to say texas a&m loves being mentioned in, te- in the same yeah sense with texas uh, but, but, but until results prove otherwise i mean the talent wise there's no question i mean those guys can recruit the if it's just dudes like that they're going to win they'd win most of the games they played but it hasn't been so we'll we'll, we'll wait and see i guess i believe you so, i believe you i believe you just said kentucky's a very good program uh no, it is um uh, it is what it is as a program. Uh, Kentucky would beat uh, Kentucky would beat Texas A&M this season, just for the record. In Lexington, yeah, in College Station, I don't know for sure that I don't think that it would, but um, you know, It'd be a nice seventeen seventeen game probably. Yes, it would be, and if A&M finished with a winning record in SEC play, it would be I think the third time that uh, in Mark Stoops' tenure that, that they'd beaten a team that finished the season with a winning SEC record. So yeah, let's put things in perspective. Let's keep them in wow. perspective where they belong. Well, if we're going from perspective, Stoops is a better coach than Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, I mean, it's been you, ten years since he won a natty, but he did you, win a natty. If you, if you gave if you gave Stoops the the players that AM has, I, yeah, I think you would make that. You know, the, maybe the game has has changed, and Jimbo needs to change with it, and he hasn't to this point. So. We shall see lots and lots to discuss on a really fun week, but I think we've gotten off to a pretty good start here, and it's going to be a fun week, and we're going to be right here with you. We are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed coming off the open date, and we are ready to roll. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Wes. Thanks, Wes. Have a good week. There's that button. And now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals 24-7 where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think Falls fans will find interesting. Uh, But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that 
at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got. And you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs. And that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, you also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys.